Welcome to the Fan Experience Experience with Darren and Mark and a special guest. Welcome to the Fan Experience Experience podcast series. Each podcast will explore a different element of the fan experience and fan engagement. Some will look at the matchday experience, while others will explore broader themes. But every podcast will deliver value to anyone listening in football or indeed any other spectator sport. So whether it's general advice you need or ways to help you start a conversation with your own colleagues, we reckon a regular dose of the fan experience experience will make a difference for you. So join me, Mark. And me, Darren, as we explore ways of improving the experience on match days, making clubs more sustainable and relying less on winning to keep fans engaged. And of course, if you want to find out more about what we do, you can check out our newly launched website at www.fanexperienceco.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at fanexperienceco and Instagram at fanexperience.co. There's enough to complicate things at the start, but we'll make it simple. We tend to talk about two subjects when we have these uh, podcasts. Um, we always switch our phones off as well. We talk about different elements of the match day experience, and we also talk about more broader themes, as we've said. And today we're kind of combining the two. Our guests are Michael and Chris from the Scottish Marketing Football Podcast. And before we talk to them, Darren and I just wanted to focus on today's theme, which is outside the stadium. Now, of course, for many clubs, outside the stadium is something they can't pay a lot of attention to because perhaps like Notts County, for example, there's very little space. And it's all about safety and getting people inside the ground and doing things there. For lots of clubs, it is possible to do a lot. But the clubs that we work with tend to be outside of the elite and have uh, restrictions either in terms of um, uh, resources, space or otherwise. So from your perspective, Darren, what are we talking about when we say outside of the stadium? Well, I guess, you know, we, as I think you've, you've already mentioned, we, we see a huge range in all the assessments we do because simply there's such a variety of, of space and resources available to clubs. So I think it's very much what you can, what you can do if you can do it. Uh, and I know there are in a lot of, lot of our assessments, we sort of, we have to allow for the fact that, that some clubs just, as you, as you mentioned earlier, just simply don't have the space. But if you have got the space, I think we're talking about what you can do to really take that experience beyond the 90 minutes. And, you know, the, the obvious things are, are fan zones, which I guess many clubs will will, will have sort of had or, or, or at least it, um, experimented with. But it, but it doesn't have to be that big. It can be just um, some, some extra refreshment stands. It can be a small area where children can meet and perhaps have the, the, some inflatables set up. So, so there's all sorts of things I can do. And very basically, I guess, there's just evidence that, um, that there's actually a game going on. So when we're doing our assessments uh, down through the, um, the English Football League system or in the women's game, um, that's something that you know, initially we found was a problem, that you, know, you may be in a stadium that isn't yours. You may be in a part of town that people aren't familiar with. But the most important thing at that stage is to have something which indicates that there's something happening. Yeah. Sometimes you can actually go to within 50 yards of the ground, not see anything. That, um, that actually even even says that there's the stadium there so that's an interesting one but but just on that on that point mark of where you said you, making sure people know there's a game on it I have got a little story that's a little different to that in that I probably one of the best examples I've seen of, of the, the outside of a stadium was at um, uh, Nackbreder in the Netherlands and I went there for a, a midday kickoff um, a couple of years ago one of our assessments you might remember I think you were with 
were in the country with me at the time. I was uh, in Peck, I was at Pex Voller watching your game on the TV uh, and trying to figure out whether or not Sunderland would beat well, um, uh, Portsmouth in the checker trade final. <laughs> well, well, I got there just before ten o'clock, and there was huge amount of food, drink. There was a bar. There was live music. There was so many inflatables. It was incredible. Probably about a dozen. There was games going on. There was kids shooting into goals. All this was at one on one side of the stadium, and not even the long side. It was behind one of the goals. It was just absolutely amazing. And I remember it was almost the opposite of, the, of what you've just described. In this, at about eleven thirty, I suddenly thought, "Hang on, what am, what am I actually here for?" And I actually had to remember that there was a game on, and I still had to go do the assessment because I was enjoying myself that much. But but the the footnote to that, which I looked at later, was that that, that was an amazing experience, which I think lots of teams can can perhaps learn from the point of this, even if they don't do it to quite the same level. Knack Breda didn't hardly win a game that season; they finished rock bottom of the um, of the table. But their attendance has barely changed throughout that season. So people were, were clearly enjoying going to the stadium, even if they weren't enjoying what was happening on the pitch. So let's move from uh, the, the, um, the continental excitement of uh, attending a match in Breda to north of the border. Chris, Michael, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having us on, Mark. Yeah, thank you. You kindly uh, invited me to speak on your podcast a, a couple of years ago. You probably wished you hadn't because I went on so much about fan experience. But you guys have been doing this for a long time. You've been sharing, uh, obviously, Michael, you're at the Scottish FA, and, and Chris working in marketing and both loving Scottish football. And that passion comes across in your podcasts. I think the recent one that I've just um, looked at is, uh, is Wraith Roberts, which our producer was at quite recently. So you know how much we love Scottish football. You know that we've worked up there for, for several seasons now. And, um, you know, we, we, we love it. And I guess the phrase that, that we tend to... Well, I think for me, the phrase that comes to mind more than anything else, especially when you get outside of the, um, the top tier, is, is hiding your light under a bushel. You know, that we know on the one hand that per capita, Scotland has once again topped the table of all European countries. That's right, isn't it? That more people per capita watch Scottish football than in any other country in Europe. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I was looking at the top division, but what you see throughout the whole of Scottish football is that there's a very healthy appetite to be going to games, which is uh, great to see. I think a lot of people, and Chris will probably um, echo this, is that the, it's easy to, to knock Scottish football, it's easy to put it down, but there is so many people within the country that just are, are, are passionate for it and mad for it and um, really do try their, their best to top the game up and there's so much great going for it. Yeah, I think the, the lower you go down, that, that sometimes even strengthens it further. Yeah. I think there's a bit of a, a league shuffle around and, and some of the junior clubs from the West region are actually moving into the, the pyramid system um, officially starting uh, when, the, when the season starts again. And a lot of those clubs are, are actually better supported at times and, and better attended than some of the actual league clubs that we've got at the moment. So that's only going to get even more passionate and even and even uh, that'll even strengthen it further um, as we go forward as some of those clubs make their way up the pyramid. Yeah, because I think down below the border, we have little little sense or understanding of what you mean by junior football up there, because it's thriving, isn't it? Totally, yeah, and 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 especially so for a for a good few clubs in the west. I think there's um, some of those clubs are, are making some uh, kind of ambitious signings uh, this summer as well. But you've got a club like Auchinleck Talbot, um, who are from kind of Ayrshire, 
region and they they are probably the the most successful junior club um, shall we say they've made that move up and and yeah th- that uh, their off field performance and probably on field performance is probably just going to get uh, even better um, as the seasons go on now that they've made that move and i think of when we've looked at the performance of you know cove rangers and even Edinburgh city before them you know it's it, it, it's clear that you know in terms of the quality of the football on the pitch and that kind of um a kind of uh, conveyor belt of, of, of young talent. And we only have to mention, you know, a certain player who played for Queen's Park, who's lifted the Champions League and won the Premier League in the last, um, you know, couple of seasons to show to show what's possible there. You, you talk about the, you know, the passion and the, and the support. And it's clear that um, Scottish football, football up there, is, is loved. And, you know, our experience um, last season was um, undertaking assessments across League One. And of course, in League One, you have two clubs that would probably prefer to be at a high level, Falkirk and, and Wraith, but also some some small clubs, Montrose, who've been really punching above their weight for a long time now. So a real diversity of clubs there. And while they are, each club is different, each club you know, would like to have more fans for different reasons. There's a real variety, a real diversity of what different clubs are doing. You know, Wraith Rovers as our producer will, will recall, were the ones in that division who were, and you know, you've covered this in your latest podcast, who really, uh, uh, really taken hold of all the different marketing channels, in particular social media, to try and convey what the club means, to try and get people to come, not just for the football and, and reaching out. But then you get to a club like Montrose, where David Byrne, who, um, who we know very well, and Davey's going to be a guest very soon on the podcast, has a different challenge. There's only two pe- full-time people at that club during the week, and both of them are probably furloughed at the moment. So when we look at you know, that, the, the, the concept of a fan experience and the idea of marketing, as we know it, at other levels of football, what, what's it like for them? And, you know, and if you're advising them, what do you say to them? I think it's, it's tough because when we're doing the podcast, we, we have to be very wary that, as you said, these clubs are most, for the most part, are, are reliant on volunteers, the, the resource and what a lot of the time it's about can they get a game on at the weekend. Um, and whereas when we talk about things like outside the stadium or but more of the fan experience or even things like email marketing or anything like that, that looks goes above and beyond just the game of football, I think for a lot of clubs and understandably so uh, uh, within the lower regions of, of Scottish football is it's a kind of nice to do rather than a, than a must do and there's a core crowd that will always go to these games uh, and it's it's a good chance that they're always going to be interested but f- what we try to get across to clubs is there's, there's an audience there that is has not been spoken to or have not shown probably as much interest as the club would like to, to come in um, visit the ground or go to a game and it's how do you do that but also find the time to do that and I, and I think that's the big thing for for clubs and I'm sure that it's the same across um, within England and I know within um, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland because uh, through the podcast we've managed to speak to a few people and yeah it's about we, not being patronising, I suppose, what me and Chris have to be wary of um, and understanding the, the constraints that these clubs have, but show them that there is 
quick wins to be had. There is um, longer term wins to be had as well, but it does take a little bit of refocusing um, on some of the activities. How much of it's financial, Michael, and how much of it's like that lack of perhaps awareness that, it, that it's something that they need to be doing to attract that new new type of audience? I think finance is a big part of it. I think we can't get away from that. As I said, these clubs, for the most part, in fact, the vast, vast majority of them are uh, run by volunteers. Mark, you referenced the, the Rafe Rovers podcast we've, we've done recently. And um, Neil, what that podcast was talking about. Now, Rafe Rovers are, in essence, a full-time club, but mm-hmm. have over 80 volunteers. Yeah. That helped that club run. So finance is a big aspect. The clubs are, and I think we're seeing it a lot within this uh, period um, with COVID, that uh, the fundraising efforts that clubs are having to go to 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 just keep going. And, and up in Scotland, it's been it's been phenomenal actually, just to see fans get behind the club uh, their clubs and, and and put the money into it and for a lot of the time not even getting anything back it's just putting money in but yeah I think I think there is a and it's hard to to say this with without hopefully not offending too many people but it is shifting that focus a little bit um, and realizing that you're what you're needing to do is as I said before your, your core crowd's always going to be there um, but you're not doing it for them um, you, you need them to do it to, to attract more of your local community to make them feel welcome in an environment that that may not that may be home to you and then this is the thing about volunteers and, and your core fans and your committees etc is that you're very much used to going to these grounds and, and being part of uh, going to the games and, and knowing the whole environment but it's a whole new world uh, to to those that don't go to the game, and whether you recognise it or not, it can be intimidating going to the football, even if you are a local club or a, or a small ground. Um, people are always wary of the unknown, um, scared to, to make a fool of themselves. Uh, a lot of the time it's easier not to go than go. So I think clubs sometimes, and we're guilty of that, no matter what level you're at, is you, you get too caught up in what, it is you're, you're part of and you don't take that step back to realise what it's like for somebody that's um, not familiar with what you do. And it's, that's, that's very much um, uh, what, what, what we find, you know, that we um, you know, find that the, the attractions of clubs outside of the elite, and we're talking, you know, we're not talking uh, championship in England, but further down, so down through the lower leagues, non-league uh, and to grassroots, it, you know, is that they have benefits that fans of higher league clubs actually miss you know, being able to park for free, being able to have a beer um, in a in a social club, you know, which you can do in the likes of Dumbarton and um, and, and and East Fife, you know, that um, that you can't do at a at a higher level. That you can, you know, your kids can run around, the space to run around, um, the space to meet people. You can become familiar with the players. You can get very close to the action. And, and, and you're right, it's not, you know, we're, we're not, I don't think we're being, you know, desultory or, 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 or critical here. We're just saying that the focus of, of trying to keep a club running, especially a part-time club with volunteers, often means that, you know, psychologically, you're so focused on keeping the ship actually uh, above water that you miss some of these things. And, and, and I, I think Montrose, I mean, Darren and I have been talking about, you know, what, what's good practice in an area like stadium vicinity? And for Davion Montrose, it's, it's the fact that, say, the, there's a tourist office, which is quite prominent in the main road in um, Montrose as you come in. And, you know, we, we discovered that the tourist office 
you know, couldn't answer any basic questions about where the club was or when the game was on. You know, so that was that was one thing that we could do is just make sure that if um, there's tourism and, and, and of course there is at, at Montreux, there's a nice golf course here, it's in a beautiful part of the world, just so people who may be dropping by to actually know there's something going on. And another thing that they've done very, very well at Montreux is to use a very clear font. So a very, ba- you know, a basic thing in marketing, but something which football clubs have, have missed over the years, which is to have every sign the same, the same font, the same style, the same size, the same colour. You'll know that, you know, in the past you'll go to a stadium and it's almost like the rings on a tree. When you age a tree, you can tell that there are signs going back to about 1910, most of whom's theme is don't do this, stop doing that and, and don't look at me that way. You know, and it's, that was something that very little work was, was involved um, but it's very significant in actually reassuring you when you turn up that you're welcome, that there's something going on here and that they're interested in more than just the locals coming. Uh, Darren, you'd back that up, wouldn't you, from your, your trips at, um, at non-league, low-league level? Yeah, I mean, I think most of the time, you know, we hear the, a very familiar thing that seems to come out from particularly non-league clubs that say, oh, we've got this huge community um, and either none of them know we're here or sometimes none of them even like us and I think part of that is not understanding that sort of that relationship that you can have with those people and actually if you may if you try and bring them into it and make them part of it then actually there could be a completely different relationship that could mean that some of the things you do outside the stadium attract people who maybe not have maybe wouldn't have even thought of, of coming to football games before because so, I was going to ask you Chris I mean given where we are with the the COVID situation and, and the fact that clubs have lost lost lots of income in the last few few months I mean surely now more than ever um, there need to be marketing to, the, to that to that group that, that perhaps have, have been missing out up until now yeah, completely. You you would really like to think so. You'd really like to think that that's that's high up on the the agendas at a lot of clubs at the moment. I think it's been mentioned already, but uh, obviously a lot of our clubs up here are have staff that are on furlough. I know in in a lot of cases they're. I think the majority of the staff, it's maybe just some of the directors that that aren't uh, on furlough at the moment, and that's maybe not their priority. The priority is probably survival for them at the moment. But for me, the marketing of the club comes under survival because, like you said, Darren, that's got to be uh, the the thing that gets focused on going forward. Um, I think it's going to be so important. And and there is some clubs that that I've seen in particular that have been focusing on that uh, while we've been... Um, kind of without football uh, on the pitch up here. Um, I think we had uh, Nathan Thompson, who's uh, now a director at Berwick Rangers uh, on the club. And, and for me, that the transformation that that club's gone under, even just on, over the last few years, off the pitch, they've had a pretty wretched time of it. They got relegated from the SPFL down into the Lowland League and they've been in the Lowland League a couple of seasons now. And they basically, uh, at some point this season, decided to hit the reset button. Um, and put a huge focus behind just transforming that club um, off the pitch. And I'm, I'm actually looking forward to when football comes back now because I'm excited to see what the changes they made off the pitch, how that impacts things on the pitch, how that impacts things in yeah. the stands. Um, and, and it'll be really interesting to see that because, like I said, they've, they've put a big focus on kind of almost professionalising every aspect of the club. Um, while we've been kind of without football, and I think that's uh, something that uh, a lot of clubs could take inspiration from. I would definitely encourage people if they can't to see that. Um, I think it was that uh, the episode of um, View from the the Terrace that um, that has all of those films 
that yeah. doesn't have the guy sat in the studio, but was 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 broadcast about a month ago. And there's a feature on Berwick there, and myself and the producer were sat watching this, and we were there in um, in 2013, 2014. But even then, even though it's windswept, there's very little shelter. It can be very cold there. The games can be very windy. That can be a challenge for for, for people playing there. Um, the thing we remember is how welcoming the the social club was. Still remember playing pool there. You know, still st- just still remember how welcoming it was. And um, you know, speaking to one of the directors there, and and that's something that sometimes I think it takes a third person or a, you know a stranger to to turn up and actually see what what they've what they've got. I remember I won't mention the club, but there was a, there is a club in League One that the producer went to uh, visit to undertake an assessment for, and there was a key part of the pre-match experience that he nearly didn't find because of a lack of signage. You know, and that's that's not something that's you know beyond the beyond the realm, either in terms of uh, imagination, resources, or, or or otherwise. You know, so it can be sometimes something as simple as that. I, I always remember that um, <clears throat> that Millwall, who we were delighted when in 2014, I believe, were 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 actually the winners of the Family Club of the Year, and as you can imagine, that got attention. You know, when when we normally don't get the attention of the press. But one of the things Millwall do incredibly well is that. All of their branding and signs is, is in that, that navy blue and white that, that people think of when they think of the club. It's there everywhere. And on, on the front of the stadium, there's kind of a, there's one of those signs when there's six or seven um, you know, bits of information on top of each other. But there's one with kind of a kind of beautiful multicolored, font, same font, but multicolored, which is actually Zampa's family room. So if you're taking kids to your first game, there's a lot of focus on that down there in southeast London. Um, that's the thing you see as you look at that sign. So you're absolutely no doubt whatsoever where you need to go. And there are more signs as you go around. And I think that's, that's something that, Darren, you, you, you'd certainly agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I know it's, it's, I didn't want to sort of put a negative against, against the example you've just given, because there was also an example of a League One club who had to close their fan zone because no one knew it was there. That's almost the exact opposite to what you described there, where actually they'd gone through the effort and the financial um, demands of putting a fan zone in place and then just didn't tell people where it was. So, so you know, subsequently 75% of fans didn't, never got there and never, never saw it, which, which felt a real shame. And I guess that's the, that, that brings us back to the value of the volunteers, because, you know, you mentioned before that Wraith have 80 volunteers that are helping them at the moment. And that's actually having volunteers that, that are out there that walk up to you if they don't recognise you, you know, they strike up a conversation with you. And, you know, some of the greatest moments we've had in Scottish football have been as a result of, of, of chatting to someone before the game. I mean, you know, the... Um, the Red Lichties know us very well because we've been, um, we've been, you know, our broth advocates ever since the producer and I went to a game in 2013, just after the producer's 18th birthday. And as a result of a little old man engaging us outside the stadium, we, we got a personal tour. We were mentioned by the match announcer. We were told to make sure we got on the queue for the a steak and black pudding pie before it sold out. And, you know, up in the bar, um, the producer was given a, um, a free pint for his 18th birthday, you know, a bit of Bellhaven, and I still have the picture of him. And, and they are the things we remember. I know I had to look up to discover that the game ended 2-2 with a couple of sendings off. I'd, we'd forgotten that. It was just that. And I guess that kind of brings us round to the start, that Scottish football is beloved. It's pure. 
It's absolutely loved by the people that follow it. But in adopting some of these marketing measures and adopting some of these fan experience measures, it can tap into that wider community. And I think we'd all agree with that. Is Michael, does that kind of chime with the way the SFA would see these things? Yeah, no, definitely. Community is at the heart of, of a lot. And I know you've spoke about this on your podcast before, but for a lot of clubs, it's actually understanding what they what they stand for, what's their identity, what role do they want to play within the community. And it's interesting, Darren, you mentioned that a fan zone that nobody knew about. And that's probably uh, a thing that, again, we're all guilty of, but it's a communication beforehand as well, not just when people turn up and, and signage is important and the people might be listening to this going uh, a bit hypocritical and people in glass houses considering Hamden's not always the best and, and that's something that we're very much aware of that, that we need to address and, and are trying to work on as well but it's, it's that communication beforehand in, in the week before or um, even be, uh, before that and hence why I, I referenced email marketing or Twitter and social, uh, Facebook and whatever else it is, is, is communicating and knowing what what to expect when you go there and, and speaking to that local community. And it's actually also understanding about what yeah, what do your fans want, but what is your what's your local community telling you? Chris referenced uh, Nathan uh, being on the podcast for Bennett Grangers and talking about the, the transformation that they've been going through and, and Rafe Rovers were the same because they do their annual survey and a lot of clubs do but that's at the Serbian fans but what is it in the local community want as well because the more people that experience it like yourself Mark will will no doubt love it as well yeah it's true that we we mentioned I'm sure we've mentioned on one of these podcasts uh, a club in um in the um in the national league in England so in the fifth tier in England who um were participating in a civic survey which really gave them some clues as to what they were doing wrong and what they needed to do right in terms of the way that we that they were perceived. Guys, we're coming towards the um, end. It just shows you how quick these podcasts pass when we're having such a, a, a good time. And unfortunately, it is the time to uh, bring this podcast to an end, but not before I say it's... Time for the roundup. And on the roundup this time, we were happy to see that fans, at least some fans, were allowed into the Pokal final, the Danish... Cup final, which took place this week between Sonajuska from Hadislev in the, in the south and Olborg in the north of uh, Jutland. The result, a 2-0 win for Sonajuska, the first time they've ever won the Cup. Both goals were scored, as it always is the case, by a former Olborg player. What was significant about the game was that we had 1,500 fans there in Aisbjerg Stadium down in southwest Jutland. And uh, this is significant because it is known now that in Danish um, Superliga playoff matches, we're going to see probably 75 to 80% of a, uh, attendances um, allowed, subject to some social distances and other restrictions. We do know that there were some difficulties at the uh, Cup final, but only small ones. And for me, that really gives us an encouraging sign that football with fans, the way it should be, We'll be back soon. So I'd like to thank Michael. I'd like to thank Chris, obviously Darren too, and our producer, and you most of all for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Fan Experience Experience Podcast. And don't forget to check out our new website at fanexperienceco.com. The Fan Experience Experience was recorded live. See you next time.